Well, please open your copy of God's Word to probably the most well-known and your favorite chapter in the Bible, Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. Um, we're going to just take a look at that here in just a couple minutes, and then we're going to go over to our, our main text for today, 1 Samuel. But as you're turning there, just a couple things. I've been using the word defining moment this morning on purpose in light of what we're doing today. Defining moments are, are, are foundational, uh, are a reality in doing life with the Lord. A life with the Lord actually begins with a defining moment as scripture talks about it. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, the Bible talks about that, 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 that the person who declares with their mouth, who, who, who calls on the Lord and repents before the Lord and receives the gift of salvation, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, of what God has done for them, uh, that, that enters into a, what I'm going to call a covenanted relationship with the Lord. I'm not talking about a theological structure, I'm talking about a relationship covenanted relationship with the Lord is that drive the straight stake in the ground time when by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone you make a defining moment and I would say it this way you move from uh, 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 grabbing an understanding of the Bible to diving in and covenanting yourself to the Lord who covenants himself to you. And not only does it happen in entering into relationship with the Lord, but I would suggest, and I think part of what we're going to see today in our text, is that defining moments characterize an ongoing life with the Lord. They're just defining moments in it. A covenanted relationship like that of marriage. Uh, when you got married, that was a defining moment. I mean, you entered into that covenant relationship. I remember when Karen and I got married, it was about 100 years ago, and and in that, when we were riding our horses to, uh, to get married, um, in, when we got married, in that, it was kind of like, we, we thought we knew exactly what we were doing and what was going on. The truth of the matter was, is after we got married, we kind of realized, <laughs> we don't know what we're doing, man. And, uh, and yet there's defining moments. There's kind of grounding moments that come along. And we talk about how uh, I think marriage was one of the biggest times in our lives when we totally realized how selfish we are. And then kids came along and renewed that understanding of selfishness in it. But, but marriage just has that way about it. And, and yet you learn and you grow and you have movements along that. And I would suggest it's similar with relationship with the Lord. Defining moments not only start it, but continue in it and tell a lot about it. By the way, I'm not talking about kind of momentary defining moments, or I'm also not talking about defining moments where you kind of make a movement and a deeper understanding and a deeper relationship and even commitment to, and then everything's perfect from there. I mean, no, 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 I'm not talking about, talking about that. I am talking about the kind of thing to where it, it's, a, it's a movement, and, and some things do change from there, but it doesn't mean that we're perfect from there. In fact, we're going to see that over the next couple Sundays. Uh, with what takes place with God's people in 1 Samuel, defining moments. I've kind of used this terminology of um, covenant, covenant relationship. I don't think we really understand that a whole lot other than the idea of marriage when we've covenanted ourselves to someone. I actually think we look at relationships more as convenience than uh, covenant. In fact, I would even suggest in it that we actually view relationship with the Lord more like a, a dating relationship than a covenanted relationship. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, dating's really cool. I remember doing that and 
But it's kind of one of those things where it's like, hey, as long as you're working for me and as long as I'm enjoying it, I'm in. But kind of when it doesn't work for me anymore, or I'm not enjoying myself anymore, I'm kind of out. Or at least I'll put you on the side. Uh, 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 Listen, the Lord is not asking for people to date him. The Lord invites some dating, but the whole thing is he's really wanting to have deep, lasting, covenanted relationship with you. The kind of relationship where you put yourself in and he puts himself on. That's what it is. Defining moment leads into that. In fact, uh, the reason I kind of sent you to Leviticus 26 here just for a couple minutes is just to kind of show you a little bit of this. I've talked about this, this, again, this relationship that has this agreement in it. When when God set up and invited uh, his people, uh, the Israelites in Exodus 19, to come enter into an unlike relationship, unlike any other relationship that was there, we we find that following right after that Exodus 19 is Exodus 20, the the Ten Commandments, and then it kind of goes on, and, and the Lord is structuring a relationship. It's not just like, hey, let's just do whatever you and I want to do. There's structure to it. Leviticus 26 is just an example of that. Look at verse 1. The Lord says, you shall not make idols for yourselves. God is actually uh, making some dictation on what this relationship looks like and what it it should be and shouldn't be. And then you see this in verse 3. If you walk in my statutes, then verse 4, then I will. And you carry this, if you, I will, throughout the text, verse 14. But if you will, verse 15, if you spurn my statutes, and then verse 16, then I will do this to you in that. And then verse 21, then if you walk contrary to me I, I, and not listen to me, I will continue striking you. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me but walk contrary to me, I will also walk contrary to you, verse 27. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will uh, walk contrary to you in my fury. Know this, we're not talking about a, a, a relationship that is founded on works, but it is a relationship founded upon grace of the Lord that then has reality to it. There's an agreement in it. This is how it is. Again, it's not just dating the Lord. It's much deeper than that. We covenant ourselves and commit ourselves under the Lord with this tenacious desire of that. And the Lord, uh, likewise, covenants himself back on us in, in all this. And we see this happening. But the but, uh, point is, look at verse 40 in chapter 26. I love this. But if they, if you confess your iniquity, look at verse 42, then I will remember. Here's one of the awesome things about relationship with the Lord. He totally knows you and I are going to fall and fail. He totally knows that. He totally knows that you and I, in a relationship with him, are going to fall and fail in that relationship. And in fact, like, all the time. And he knows that. And yet he still wants to do relationship with us. How cool is that? He still invites us to do relationship with him. And in this, note in this, there's this thing, if you will confess. And again, it's not losing salvation. We're talking about a relationship that is strong and a relationship of communication. And here's where I'm building to. I'm building to this point of, I just don't think we as a people do confession very well. Let me restate that. I don't think we as a people do confession very often. I don't know about you, but I'll just say for me, I am proud. 
And one of the ways that I see pride in my life and I see pride in other lives is the lack of confession. I mean, might I say, just what would happen in a family if confessing our our sins and literally asking, not even just using terms like, I apologize, but like, I sinned against you, will you forgive me? Can you just imagine what that does when that becomes a normal thing going on? And you have this constant renewal of grace going on in relationship. And the Lord totally knows you and I are going to fall and fail. Have you fallen and failed this week? Yep, you have. (laughs) It's just true. But know this. We come together as a people who fall and fail. And the Lord is just like, I still love you. I absolutely love you, Revelation chapter 1. I love you. In fact, before we've even gotten into 1 Samuel 7, and you can turn there now, I'm already on our first point. Extended centuries of enduring grace. Defining moments of repentance and grace. Critical for relationship with the Lord where the Lord is, his presence and his power is active. Let's uh, talk about this. Extended centuries of enduring grace. Why have I said that? Before I even read verses one and two out of chapter seven, uh, just know this. There have been centuries and centuries of time of God's people from the book of, beginning of the book of Judges, the end of Joshua through the book of Judges to the beginning of 1 Samuel, that God's people have just fallen and failed, fallen and failed again and again and again and again and again. And in fact, the whole idea of, of kind of times of repentance are far and few. And in fact, God's people through this time are so, so at a whole different realm of, of like non-relationship with the Lord. I mean, they are doing life without the Lord for all practicality that we're gonna read here in the text here in just a minute that even uh, God's people in 1 Samuel 7 needed to get rid of the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And, and I would just, uh, it, what took place with the Ashtaroth, even if I asked the kids in this room to leave, I would not want to tell you. Then the things that God's people were participating in where it would so blow our minds that we don't even understand it. And yet know this, God has not bagged them and kicked them out and left them forever. And I do, I thank God for that. Now, know this, chapters four, and then Pastor Nate took us on five and six. Oh, oh God definitely um, um, disciplined them like he said that he would. And it's not that God is waiting for you and I to fall and fail and boom, he's like quick to like crush us. It's not that way at all. In fact, God's grace is just so enduring and so long, but there comes a point in time where God in his love for his people ends up saying, listen, man, uh, the, the, the dude, the gal, they, they're just so, of course, I just gotta bring some heat to the table because I love them and want them to come back. And that's what chapters four, five, and six are about. God allowed his people to get shellacked in war. 34,000 soldiers died, we see in chapter four. And then in chapters five and six that Pastor Nate took you through, God pulls his, his ark away from them. He takes his, his glory, his Shekinah glory representation and his presence and his power away from them. Know this, God has never left his people 
but he has removed a portion of all that he is, if you will. And he's placed it over here in the Philistines so that his people would come to understand, you want to live life without me? I'll give you a little bit of time to know what that's like. And then as Pastor Nate brought us back in the beginning of chapter 7 here, the ark comes back and God's enduring grace goes on. Why in the world does God put up with these schmucks again and again and again? Um, I am really glad as a schmuck that the Lord does. Deuteronomy 31, 6, I will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua 1, 9, I am with you. Oh, and by the way, this is more than just an Old Testament principle. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission, verse 20 at the end of it. He says, I am with you always. And then Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's saying to his own. Well, let's get reading. Verses 1 and 2, 1 Samuel 7. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged in Kiriath-Jerim, a long time. Like, aren't you wondering how long? Like, t- tell me about how long would you think that was? Oh, 20 years. Good, 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 good. You're looking at the text. That's awesome. Uh, right about 20 years. And all the house of Israel, look at this. All the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. One of the big thing, things I literally spent uh, a couple days trying to figure out what's going on here. What, what's really happening here? What, what, what's going on with God's people here? Something over a period of 20 years is taking place with God's people. And I would just maybe suggest that it's this way. It's God's people are getting stirred by the Lord. And God in his grace has just been so patient and so loving over time. And for some reason, at this point in time, God is just stirring anew in his people. And it's almost like he's raising up a new generation of people that are stirred up for the Lord. I think in this lamenting after, uh, with what we see uh, is going to happen here in just a second, I'm not sure if this is the kind of thing where where they have come into faith in, in the Lord at this point in time, or God's just beginning to stir. You have to remember these dear people. They don't have parents who walked with the Lord. They don't have grandparents that walked with the Lord. And they likely don't have great grandparents that walked with the Lord. The fact of the matter is God is stirring up anew in some people with some people who hung hung around religiosity and God is now stirring a new covenant desire in them. By the way, young folks get stirred up. Stir it up, man, because our world needs you stirred up for the Lord. God is building something, and this is his enduring grace. Why doesn't he just bag them and leave them? Because he never gives up. Hey, friends, you can never, ever outsin his grace. Never. His grace is not a passport just to go sin all we want. I mean, when that's the case, we don't understand what grace is. But in it, his grace endures. He does not measure you by the strength of of your perfection. He measures you by the work of Christ in you. Enduring grace. God's at work 
It was time for his people to have a defining moment. It's time for his people to have a defining moment. Verse three, a defining moment of renewing grace. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, by the way, there's something very, very, very special about this. What's, what's taken place is Samuel has been completely absent since chapter four, verse one. He, we have not heard about him. Uh, exactly what is his age at this point because the last time we kind of met Samuel, he was like a teenager. But what's going on here is Samuel at this point is probably in his 40s or early 50s at this point in time. There's been a whole lot of years taking place between all this. And by the way, I'll just note this. God is incredibly patient. God is not in a rush. And listen, there is an urgency with the gospel, but sometimes we get so urgent, I think we just get way out ahead of the Lord. And the Lord is just patient. He's at work, and here's this guy. We don't know nothing about him in his 20s and his 30s and probably most of his 40s. And by the way, I thank God for a guy who's on the scene who doesn't have to be famous. And I mean that seriously in our day and age of ministry. There's a yearning to be famous in ministry, whether it's in a, a, my kind of capacity or your kind of capacity. Samuel's just faithfully serving the Lord. And the Lord will do what the Lord will do. He's faithfully serving. But here he is, Samuel. He's in a leadership reality. And he said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord, see, I'm just taking little segments here. Sorry if that annoys you, but I, I'm gonna annoy you. It's a conditional clause. Why is that a big deal? Because we just read that God has been stirring in his people for some 20 years. And now Samuel, the leader, steps up to the plate and, he, and he, in, in this kind of, however this is representative, gathering of all the people, here, here is Samuel here. He stands before them and he puts a, a question back up. He's like, uh, if you are really wanting to return, that so reminds me of the end of Joshua. The end of Joshua, uh, when they're beginning to, to, to take, in the prom, take over the promised land and Joshua asks the people, are you ready to commit to the Lord? And they're all like, yeah, we are are so ready to commit to the Lord. And Joshua just says, uh, I'm not sure you are. And I think in the Hebrew it says, what? Something like that with people. But, but it's so intriguing. Joshua just presses back and it's kind of like, pause for a moment, pause for a moment. Listen, God's at work right now. God's at work right now. But I want for you to understand, this is not easy believism. This is not a prosperity gospel thing. This is not just prayer, prayer, and then go on doing your whole life thing. No, 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 no. Stop, hold it for a moment because if you are interested, if you're really thinking about returning to the Lord, I love that. I love the pushback especially in a day of microwaving Jesus on people. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, again, I may mention this the other week, uh, heart, we, we commonly think of that's the emotion thing. You know, uh, I'm feeling Jesus, man. Yeah, I just feel warm and I'm just feeling, I just got the love going on, man. You know, I just, Jesus, bring me home. Kind of, I understand in the Hebrew, the, the emotions is the secondary reality of this. This is actually the terminology that is driving this idea of, of, of the intellect. This is an intellectual decision. This is a decision of the mind, not a decision of just emotion. 
Emotion always goes with intellect. Intellect doesn't sometimes always go with emotion. And yet here you have this where, where he's saying, listen, if you really want to return your, 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 your tenacious determination in an intellectual way, in your mind and your thinking and your understanding, if you really want to turn, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. Yeah, I could talk on that. Again, the fact that the Baal and the Ashtoreth are still among God's people, even though God has been working, I don't know how this all functions out in it, where the older crop of the day is like still doing their, their crusty, you know, fake religion stuff of what's going on, and then a new generation, or if this is holistically overall, but what's going on is they are still doing things that, friends, if you and I knew what they were involving, we would, we would not believe it. And Samuel, sensing God's been at work over a couple decades, and it's like, this is a defining moment. And here's the thing. If you want to return to the Lord, if you really want to return to the Lord with, in, with your mind, with your heart, with your soul, with the whole of you, it's going to involve you doing some things. Put away the foreign gods. Get after it. It's kind of like Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 says, we're to put off sin. We're to go after sin like kill it. Like kill it with a tenacious determination. It doesn't mean that we, we, we kill a sin and we never experience it again. Oh, I wish that was the case, right? And everybody, I think when we read Colossians 3, that's what we think, that we're to kill a sin and we're never to, no, no, it means, it means when a sin comes up, kill it. Oh, and then by the way, when it comes up again, kill it again. Oh, and then when it comes up again, kill it again. It's like sin murderers. That's not too politically correct nowadays, is it? But that's the whole idea of it. And here in it, he's like, listen, it's this kind of thing. Sam is like, I'm not into easy believism. If you want to return to the Lord with your intellect, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Put it away. Get serious about it. Stop piddling with it. Stop playing with it. Stop messing with it. I'm not talking about put it in the closet. I'm talking about kill it. And the next time it shows its face, get after it again. Oh, and then by the way, next time when it shows its face and you fall and you fail, get on your face and let's move on. Serve him only. In a polytheistic world at the time, that was an amazing statement got to keep going. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Friends, the gospel is right there in the Old Testament. Do you see it? Do you see it? Listen, God has been stirring people. He's been stirring in their mind. He's stirring in their heart. And in this period of time, God is doing a work of people. And finally, it comes to a point where a leader, Samuel, stands up and he says, listen, hey, I reckon God is at work. Something is happening here. And here's the deal. It's time to drive the stake in the ground. 
And honestly, I don't know if this is the whole thing where this is like the first time where they've actually put their faith and driven the stake in the ground and received the Lord, if you want to say it that way in Old Testament times. I don't, I'm not quite sure if that was it or if it's the kind of thing these people were in relationship with the Lord and then God is like, listen, Samuel is like, listen, it's time to restake it for a new movement ahead. I don't know, but I'm going to say this. I'm going to go with both because probably both were happening. Then and now. Then and now. If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, put it away. A new determination to get rid of it. Go to war from it and turn from it. Not perfection, but get back at the war. And direct your heart to the Lord. Turn your heart with a tenacious determination of intellect to the Lord. And a exclusive devotion. Listen, God, I'm back on the train with you again. This covenant relationship, Lord, back on. Do you see the movement? If you, he will. If you, he will. So the people put him away. And they serve the Lord only. So cool. So the people, verse four of Israel, put away the bales and the Asheroth and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. By the way, um, man, if I was doing a leadership talk right now, so I will just for a moment. Leaders underline that. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're an elder, whether you're a small group leader, whether you're a, a parent. Oh, how about this? Just everybody. Just underline it. Why? Because do you see what Samuel's doing? Samuel is kind of standing in the gap here, if you will. And Samuel is praying to the Lord for them. More of that. More of that in me. More of that in us. So often we look at repentance as just a singular individual event. You have to understand the context of this. The context of this is more than just an a, a, a individual event. This isn't just about you or just about me. This is actually about a people. This is actually happening together. Do you see this? Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. By the way, we don't quite know exactly what that meant in it, which I love. It meant something to them. And they fasted on that day. And there they said, we have sinned against the Lord. That's cool. Why are we so slow to want to repent? Why are we so embarrassed? To confess. Why is that? Because we are incredibly proud. True? And that's a shame. Because this is an absolutely beautiful event. 
And part of the reason that, that we don't want to repent, we don't want to confess is because, uh, let's just be straight about it, because we don't want to look stupid in front of other people. What? What? What if God's people had a habit of it? Well, then we'd look like freaks. Awesome. Could you imagine how attractive that freakishness would be to the world? A bunch of humble people who don't see themselves as so totally awesome all the time? As like, they'll take on any God question, any moment, and argue it to the hilt. How about if people just saw us as people who are humble and face down before the Lord and awed by our God and amazed that he would pour his grace out on us and in us and through us? How about more of that? And how about if we were just a people where, where if someone was like kneeling during a service to pray or at the end of a service to pray? And it wasn't like, oh, holy moly, something's happening there. Like, that's freakish. What if that was just gone? And that just became part of who we are. Man, a people humble. Not show off. Oh, out with that. But a people sincere in relationship with the Lord who understand that there are just times where it's like, oh God, face down. And we rejoice in that and we're encouraged by that and we're helped by that. Holy moly, Pastor Doug isn't perfect. Just ask my wife. <laughs> repentance is a singular event, but repentance is also a continuing reality. Repentance begins life with the Lord, and repentance continues life with the Lord. It's an attitude, it's a mindset. Repentance is about renewing and clarifying and moving on and seeing God for who he is and us in light of that. And so they gathered at Mizpah, verse 6, and drew water, poured it out before the Lord, fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. It's not like he ran them through a line like a judge. It's not that he led them. And now they repent. I'll bet they go home and they all have checks in the mail. You know, like $1,000 or more at least, right? Or all their problems are gone. I mean, because when people repent, we know after that it's got to be marvelous and wonderful and good, right? I mean, everything becomes easy after that. Watch what happens here. Listen, look at what ultimately I think God is doing here. We have not heard a word from the Lord. We have heard that the people are lamenting after the Lord. Samuel says, repent, fall down, turn away from, and turn to the Lord. Turn away from the world, turn to the world. To... You got it. <laughs> and they do, and now what happens? What's God going to do? Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, 
the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. Just cut to the chase. They were all in Mizpah and they were, got mad over it, okay? They're always in war with the Philistines at this time. And so, and when the people of Israel heard it, uh, the people who just repented, they were afraid of the Philistines. Why? Why would they be afraid? Listen, because they've been shellacked by him in the past. It was 20 years ago that they lost 34,000 men in battle. They, they, they don't have a great warring uh, self. They were the ones who had the Ark of the Covenant, who took it from. Uh, they're the ones who, who sent it back to them. But in this, I love this, bless their hearts. After repenting, what happens? They're scared by life. Now we're going to find out where they go. Where are they going to go? Are they going to go to the Baal Pole? Are they going to go to the Ashtoreth? Are they going to go what they've always been doing in the past? Going to themselves? Or where where are they going to go? Look at this. God puts an event in their life to find out what's going on. Verse 8. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, they're going to the right place. Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us. Listen, that's exactly right. Amen on that. Do you see what's happening? They haven't been doing this before. They don't usually go to the right person at that point in time. Now they're going to Samuel, the one that is kind of the representative one. They're going to Samuel and they're asking him, cry out to the Lord. And by the way, do you see our God? I don't think this is a statement of, hey, cry out to the Lord and save us. Uh, Save our hinds. No, I don't think that's what's going on. Listen, we can't do anything about this. Samuel, go to the Lord and cry out to him that he would save us. Because he's our hope. Friends, they've turned, they're turning. That he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. I actually don't think it's talking about verbal. I think it's talking about the Lord showed up because of watch. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offerings, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord, what? Hannah's prayer, Mother's Day, end of chapter or end of her prayer, chapter two, verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. And here God is, thundering. We don't exactly know what that is. Uh, Some think it literally was a gigantic storm in the area because in the desert areas, a storm comes and everything just becomes a mess. And that's why it tells they go into confusion. Or, or we, we don't quite know. We just know this, that the Lord thundered. Well, keep reading. With a mighty sound that day against the Philistines. And then they threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. By the way, those last two words are critical. It doesn't say, and they were defeated. They were defeated before in front of their faces. They had just repented unto the Lord. A renewing grace reality going on out of God's extended grace over centuries of time. And in that, all of a sudden, they repent and God allows a war to come right in their face. And they're like, ah! And and they cry out to the Lord for us. And the Lord, and they're like, made the right decision. They just saw God at work in front of their faces. 
How loving of God. That God, with the people that are messing around, piddling around, confused and all kinds of things. That shortly after the moment, they confess that, Lord, we don't have our acts all together. And the Lord shows himself. Hey, you don't do that to get something from the Lord. You repent because it's a fact and a reality and a need. And we know that God will show up how God shows up. Rest of the chapter, just real quickly. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called his name Ebenezer, for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. In other words, I think that's this idea of the enduring grace of the Lord. So verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued. They did not again enter the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel restored to Israel, but Ekron, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel gathered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Verse 15, Samuel judged, led Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and uh, there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar. So many things to say, but we're just going to keep it on the main part of what we just talked about. So how do we finish this? Man, when the text talks about people and God's people repenting, I, I just think we should do the same. And so we are. I just want for us to take a few minutes here in just a little bit. We're just going to go quiet in here. No music, just quiet. And I want us, if you want to kneel, if you want to come up here, you can come up here, but here's, here's the whole thing of it. This whole room is an altar right now. Okay? There's no, like, more spiritual spot. But this whole room is an altar unto the Lord. And three things. One, if God's been stirring in your life over the last weeks, months, years, and you're not sure if you have a relationship with the Lord, if, you've, if you have a story of when you've come to receive Christ as your Savior, now. Drive the stake in the ground now. And repent of sin and receive Christ as your Savior. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And by the way, I'm not talking, I'm gonna push back on it. I'm not talking about coming into some easy believism thing and then you're gonna get everything you've ever wanted in life. No, 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 I'm not talking about that at all. I think the scriptures is actually talking about the fact of the matter is every one of us has fallen as sinners before a holy God and in total deserving of eternal damnation and separation from God. And yet when we receive Christ as our savior, his work on the cross is imputed in our place. And oh my word, because of what God has done we now have a covenanted relationship with them with a tenacity to my goodness I want the old life gone and I want life in Christ ahead I want to kick it out for the Lord I want Mark chapter 4 the fourth soil kind of thing fruit produced for the Lord listen if you're about easy believism uh, 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 seek the Lord and seek his word but that's not what we're about here 
But if it's the kind of thing to where you've never had a time where you have received that God, because I'm just gonna be really straight up with you now, because I actually think a lot of people have received a God that is not a God of the Bible. It's a God of their own head that they wish was. And here Samuel gives the call. If you are interested in returning to the Lord with a tenacious intellectual passion today, just drive the stake in the ground. Lord, today. And by the way, I'm gonna even say this, don't do it alone. Grab someone next to you, grab someone across the row from you. Don't alone, don't alone. Why? Because it's too awesome to do alone. If you don't know Christ as your savior, time. Second, you know Christ as your savior and it's kind of like, man, Doug, as we're talking about this, I've kind of been like veering off big time. I mean, like, I don't even want to tell you how far I've been veering off. I'm kind of like prodigal. Hey, know this. His grace is huge. Come back. Come back. When the prodigal son ran to his father, his father wasn't standing there like this. What does the text tell us? His father was standing with his arms out, running after him. And if that's you, renewing grace, defining moment now. Uh, and, and for all the rest of us, I think this would just be an awesome time together as a church, as a church family, if you're visiting with us, you as well, just to take this time, two, three minutes, your quietness, and just, Lord, you are awesome, and I am not. Okay? If you need to receive Christ as your savior, grab someone now. Let's all go before the Lord. Let's go. Lord, sometimes quietness is really uncomfortable. And sometimes it is beautiful. Lord, in a very noisy world, there is beauty here in this time. When your people acknowledge the reality that we are just bent towards sin and our dependence upon you and we remember the grace that you pour out, your enduring grace, your renewing grace, your thundering grace on display. Oh, we're refreshed. Lord, life with you is not a dating relationship. Life with you is a covenanted reality where you have said if all who would come to you 
and receive the work of Christ that you would covenant yourself to us. And we covenant ourselves to you, God, deeper in you. Lord, this world has so many shiny objects that it's just constantly throwing before us. And yet you are the shiniest. You are the most awesome. Yet we get diverted easily. So I thank you for your grace. God, I would just ask for us as a church and praying over for us as a church, Lord, that we would be renewed with a tenacious intellectual pursuit of you. A renewed vigor for an increased dependence upon. Do a work in us. Do a work in us. God, I thank you here as we can respond in song. We can, we can lay ourselves out before you anywhere, anytime, and yet it's not very often that we get to come together and do that as a body, as a family, as your people, and so we do it now. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that you've been stirring and is not in relationship with you, is just wondering about whether they should or what that means. Oh God, I pray, would you, would you lovingly keep after them? And might they just ask, we would love just to share with them what your word says about you. Thank you for your grace. You are truly amazing. In Christ's name we pray.